where we have been asking this question, what's God's will for my life? Like, what's God's plan for my life? What does that look like? And we've been asking very specifically, what is God's will or God's plan for my life in the area of my finances? I mean, I know God has a will for my life and my personal life and how I treat others and in my relationships, but does God have a will for my life even financially? Does that even matter to God? Well, one of the things we've discovered these last couple weeks is that if we're willing to follow God's wisdom as he lays out in the scriptures, that, that as it re- pertains to finances, we can experience something incredible. We can experience financial peace. We can ex- experience financial freedom. And here's why this is so important and why we've chosen to talk about this. Because if you could actually have financial freedom, if you are free financially, you'll be freed up to do a couple things. You'll be freed up to to go wherever it is God wants you to go. And you won't have any encumbrances. You'll be able to do whatever it is that God is calling you to do. You'll be able to serve however God calls you to serve and where he calls you to serve. And you'll have the freedom to give however he wants you to give or where he's calling you to give. You know, when I think about that, I think about how so many of you were freed up financially so that you were able to give during LifePoint's generosity initiative that we call Beyond these past couple years. We entered into this initiative because we wanted to make a greater impact in both the kingdom of God locally and globally. It was truly a season that we could all say, hey, praise God for how he worked and how he moved. Now, many of you are new or newer and don't really know about that, that initiative that we entered into. Well, I want to just celebrate what God, some of the things, not everything, but some of what God has accomplished, a part of that, these last couple years, because some of you were financially freed up so that you could participate, you could give how God wanted you to give. You followed these wise principles we're talking about. And with your generosity, many of you, because of that, we were able to do a couple things. The first thing we were able to do is actually purchase this building and, and purchase additional property with a considerable down payment so that we could minimize our debt. And, and in fact, this morning, someone came up to me before the service and gave me this shirt, which I thought was appropriate. For some of you who may not know, this used to be a Harley Davidson building, right? And so they gave me this shirt. And I was like, sweet, this is a collector's item, which means in 60 years, it's going to be worth a lot of money or worth nothing. It's an incredible reminder, though, actually, isn't this? This is actually, I I love this, that they they gave this to me. And no, you can't have it. We were able to purchase this, this facility. The next place we set our eyes to was planting another church. And so we planted a church in Pasadena that's doing really, really well. Also, we bought property in Mexico and we built a church in Mexico, planted a church there, and that church is doing well as well. We also partnered with Barry and Tammy Smith in their online church ministry experience as well as their family ministry that they kicked off. We also helped a small village in Africa become self-sustaining by meeting physical needs, and we've supported their ongoing efforts to to further the gospel. And then we kind of did a couple other things locally here. We we, we updated our website so we could do a rebrand of our ministry. 
after doing all that through your generosity, because you were freed up to be able to give, we were then able to turn our attention to our own facility. And so these last couple months, that's what we've been in the midst of, of, and we really just wrapped that up in these last few weeks. As a result of your generosity, we were able to, to add more office space for our growing staff. We created a, a large infant toddler room that was downstairs. And so all of you who are parents of infants or toddlers, you are shouting, praise Jesus, no more taking the stroller upstairs or the baby you know, carriage upstairs. And so you get that. A lot of people in first service, man, they were like, thank you, thank you. And it was a huge blessing to them. We created a kitchen prep room for our hospitality team. We created new conference rooms for a variety of uses. And then we did some worship center enhancements so that this room would be more conducive for worship rather than selling motorcycles, right? I'm curious if anybody was ever around in those early days, uh, because we just recently put in lights, uh, where we had all those original lights for years, and we had to learn the lights. If you turned them off, you couldn't turn them on for like eight minutes and 30 seconds. And if you hit them at eight minutes and 28 seconds, they all started beeping. Does somebody, anybody remember that? You're like, what's all that? Some of you remember, you're like, man, what is the incessant beeping in the auditorium? So we were able to make that change. And then we just literally, this last week, finished rebranding our LP Kids ministry, putting up new signage that coincides with our, you know, our, our new look that we did a couple years ago. And all of that was with an eye towards our guest. Listen, all of that was even made possible. Why? Because so many of you were able to be generous towards God with your finances because you had been freed up, because you practiced these principles. And so I certainly stand here this morning and say thank you. And that's just the physical stuff. That's not the stories behind the giving. And praise God for what he has done in this season for us, through us, and his grace and goodness has been incredible to us. This is made possible. Why? Because you had the financial freedom to be able to give. And that's a part of financial freedom that you can give, whether to a local church, whether to a charity, whether to a friend in need, to a neighbor in need, a family member. Being free to be able to do that is an incredible experience. It feels good to give, doesn't it? Financial freedom, we discovered, also means that we're debt-free. The Bible talks about when you're not debt-free in Proverbs, it says if you're not debt-free, you're actually a slave to those you owe money to. Financial freedom means that you and I are able to have some savings. That we have three to 12 months of savings stored up. It means we talked about that you're able to have margin, that you're able to have extra. Because listen, when you and I have extra, we actually have options, don't we? We have choices so we can do or give or go or serve how God leads us. But we talked about an obstacle to being able to be in this place, didn't we? And this obstacle is something that's kind of in all of us. And, and the problem that we all have is our eyes are big, right? And we see things and we become aware of things. And once we become aware of what we don't have, all of a sudden we become discontent. You know, it's so interesting. Even as I was just looking through the, through the newspaper, I start seeing things in the newspaper this morning, all these new houses going in and this and that. And I'm like, oh, well, that looks pretty good. I wouldn't mind that. And then all of a sudden, I come back to my senses. And I'm like, Chris, you don't need a new house. You even just updated your house. 
But see how the brain works. Your brain, if you see something, if you're aware of something, this discontentment thing starts to happen. And we know in America, what do we do when we want something we don't have? We just go buy it, right? And if we don't have the money for it, it's okay. We put it on a credit card and we charge it. And we know that because the statistics tell us that Americans, over 50% of Americans spend $1.33 for every dollar they earn. And so they go into that debt. And Paul, man, he learned that there's a secret to actually being content and not looking at the magazines and the articles and the places and the this and that and being content with what you have. He says it doesn't come natural. You have to learn it. And he learned that the secret to being content was that rather than finding his joy and satisfaction in stuff or in more, that he actually would find that joy and satisfaction in a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. In other words, contentment has everything to do with a relationship with God and not purchasing or pursuing more stuff. The cure for financial slavery is contentment. Well, today we're wrapping this series up. And we're going to look at God's wisdom on the best, most important first step that we can take towards experiencing a more continual contentment in Jesus Christ. Now, let me say this. For some of you in this room this morning, as you hear this, you get excited. In fact, I cannot tell you how many people, actually, I can tell you, there's four people who came with me after first service, and they were like, yes, yes. Praise God. I pray one more person, one more family joined in and figured this out. So there's a handful of you. Today is one of your favorite messages. You get excited. In fact, you'll be praying for everybody else. And then there's a whole bunch of us who say, this is why I hate church. This is why I don't go to church. This topic. Some of you may be visiting today and you're like, I knew it. You're afraid to go to your friends. Wait, what are they talking about? Money. Oh, that figures. I understand that. But one of the things we're going to discover is if we consider God's wisdom and what he says about our finances, he's trying to lead us to financial freedom. And maybe, just maybe, today's the day for a handful of you, some of you, who God grabs your heart and says, God, I'm going to finally try to do it your way. Not my way, but your way. So let's talk about this first step to getting towards more content, contentment in Jesus Christ. It's counterproductive. It's, or it's counterintuitive, excuse me. And that's why some of us don't want to travel this path because it doesn't make sense to us. But these principles are so good. Even if you're not a Jesus follower, by practicing these principles, you too can experience financial freedom. What we're talking about this morning, it's a game changer. It'll take you to new heights in your relationship with God and in your ability to walk close with him. It's the best step to help us get to contentment. It's the key to financial freedom. Now, before we get there, let me set it up for you. What can you do with your money? You don't answer out loud, but what is it you can do with your money? I would suggest you you can do three things with your money, right? There's three things you can do with your money. The first thing you can do is, of course, spend it, right? You you buy something, you you pay down debt, you you spend it. Second thing you can do with your money is you can save it, right? You can save it for yourself, save it for the future. Third thing you can do with your money is you can give. You can give it away. You can give it to someone, give it to a charity, give it to something, right? You You can spend it, save it, or give it. Those are the options of what we can do with our money. The question we're asking this morning is, What does God say about these three items? 
Does he say anything about it? Does he say anything about the priority of these items and how do you prioritize these three items of, of, of spending and saving and giving? And that's what we're talking about this morning. And one of the things I've learned over 20-something years of being in ministry and hearing your stories is that every single one of you who shares your testimony with me, every single one of you say something like this to me. Here's your email. Here's your story. We've shared them on stage before. We've shared them on video before. And it goes something like this. When I began to honor God with my finances according to what Scripture teaches, as opposed to doing it my own way. When I began to honor God his way, Chris, I don't understand it, but somehow I'm saving more. I'm giving more, and I'm somehow able to live on less. I don't get it. All I know is this happened, that I could save more, and I can give more, and somehow I live on less. It happened when I finally prioritized my financial life according to the way God has asked me to do it. That's the story, and that's the story that can become some of yours today. That's the story that God is inviting some of you to today. This is today's your day to take that step. So you can finally be at that point when you be, look back and go, wow, I've saved more than I've ever saved. I've given more than I've ever given, and I've been able to live, and it worked out. So let's talk about that. Turn to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3, or, or uh, he's actually the only Italian in the Bible, Malachi chapter 3, Malachi chapter 3. The last book in the Old Testament, if you go to the New Testament, Matthew, go to the left, and go to Malachi 3, and, and, and we're going to get there in a moment. Let me set this up for you. So, so in Malachi chapter 1, Malachi is speaking, it's really, he's talking, he's speaking for God, and, and he's really speaking against the Israelite people, and, and, and against the nation, and, and the leadership, and all of the people, because they were bringing an offering to God. They were giving, and when they were giving God their offering, they were giving God their leftovers. What was left over? See, back then, they had a sacrificial system. That was, that was the way they gave an offering to God. And so God had told them, when you give to me, I want you to give me your best sheep. I want you to give me your best produce. But in Malachi chapter 1, you could even glance through and kind of read it real quickly. They were giving to God their nasty, scrawny, leftover, one-eyed, three-legged animals. And, and, and God was like, whoa, 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 whoa. You're giving to me, but I am not honored by getting your leftovers. So that's kind of why we're that's kind of why Malachi gets to chapter 3. That's why he's talking about this. So in Malachi 3, Malachi tells the people, here's what God says to you who are giving God your leftovers or not giving how God wants you to give. Let's look at Malachi chapter 3 verse 7. It says this, ever since the time of your ancestors, you've turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. I want you to notice the next word. I want to say the word out loud together. What does it say? The next word at the beginning of the sentence, you have not kept my decree and have not kept them. What's the next word? It says what? Return to me. That's what God's talking about here. He's saying, I want you to come back to me. I want you to return to me. And God says, when you return to me, I'll return to you. God's telling us, I want you to move in my direction. If you'll move in my direction, I want to move in your direction. So they ask a legitimate question, verse 7, okay. How do we return to you? What does it look like? It's a great question, and God answers their question with a question. 
Notice what he says in verse 8. He says this. Will a man what? Will a man rob God? Very interesting word chosen there. Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. So the people are like, whoa, whoa, time out, God. How are we robbing you? And God tells them, in your tithes and your offerings. I like how the New Living Translation says it. It says, you've cheated me on the tithes and offerings due to me. He's saying, Malachi's saying, they're asking the question, how do I get right with God? How do I return to God? And God tells the Israelites, hey, you get right with me, you return to me, you come back to me by giving God the tithes and the offerings that are due to him. Okay, when I read that, if you're like me, if you're tracking with what Malachi's saying, you're like, this is crazy. This doesn't make sense. Ah, And here's why. Because I read that, and my first thought is, I don't equate my relationship with God to my finances. The two are totally separate. They have nothing to do with each other. And I know that's how some of us view it, right? That's me. God, I don't understand. What does one have to do with the other? Well, Jesus kind of sheds some light on this. In Luke chapter 13, Jesus said something interesting. He said to you and I, no servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and the devil. Is that what it says? That's what I assume it should say. Because my battle I face every day is between, you know, good and evil, God and the evil one and all that's involved with that, right? That's where I go. I imagine that's where some of you go. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. I understand more than you understand. And he understands for us the battle really is we cannot serve both God and what? God and money. That seems so strange to us. I don't get it. I don't understand that. The conflict we face every day is between God and our stuff. Because Jesus knows when we're aware of things, it stirs in us a discontentment for what we don't have. And we want to go after that. And Americans, we do go after it and we buy it. And if we don't have the money, we just go into debt and we go into, Proverbs says, financial slavery to get what we want. Jesus said you only have one master, one person in charge of your life. And so you can't serve both. If you're going to serve one or the other. He elaborated a bit more on it in Matthew 6 when he said this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's interesting. What is Jesus telling us? Jesus is saying, I know more than anything else that that you all have one master. Every single one of us has one master. And and he says, you want to know who your master is? It's wherever your heart is. Where's your heart? Who has your heart? And he's saying, you know who has your heart? How do you figure out who has your, your heart? Follow the money trail. Because your money always goes with your heart. Always. If I care about something, I'm going to put my money towards it. Right? If you have a friend who's in, in a tremendous need, and they're desperate, and they have an upcoming surgery, and it's really bad, and they don't have enough money to pay for it, and you hear about this, and you care about that friend, if your heart goes out to your friend, if you can, what? You'll send money there. Why? Because that friend has your heart. Jesus says, follow the money trail. You want to know who has your heart? Open the checkbook. 
Look in the registry. Who has my, who has my, you know, my heart? You know, is it REI? Is it, you know, is it, is it uh, Costco? You know, who has my heart? You can look by the check registry. Is it a church or a charity? Just look there. And we want to keep in mind, Jesus doesn't care about our money. He could care less about it. Jesus could care less about your stuff. None of that matters to him. He just cares about your what? Your heart. And he's just so smart, he knows that the key to getting our heart is through the things we, we, you know, we, we spend our money on. Because that's Jesus says, if I get your heart, that's what I'm looking for. Yeah, but pastor, you don't understand. God having my heart and my finances, they're not connected. I don't equate my relationship with God to my finances. Well, here's the hard part about the Scriptures. Somehow, in some small portion, God does. In some small portion, Jesus does. They both do it. And so God is telling the Israelites, I want you to stop robbing me by giving me your leftovers and just what you can afford because all you have left is a leftover, you know, three-legged, you know, lamb or something. I want you to bring me the whole tithe and the whole offering. Now the word tithe is an interesting word. If you look it up in the dictionary, it just literally means a tenth. That's all it means. For them, they would bring a tenth of their produce, a tenth of their animals. And actually, very interesting with the ancient Israelites, some of you might know this, but uh, they were actually called by God to give a double tithe. I don't know if we knew that. Their first 10%, they were disposed of their, of their produce, of their income, of their animals, they were supposed to give to the temple. Okay, bring it into the storehouse. Their second 10%, they were to save up all year long, and then at the end of the year, they were to take the 10% and have a huge party. Huge national party. Can you imagine? I mean, that's incredible. Let's just go party. So God's all into celebrating. God's good with celebrating. And then every third year, that 10% they saved up for a party, they were, they were to give it to the poor, to those who weren't as fortunate. So they actually had a double tithe. So what did God say to them in Malachi 3? Look at verse 9. He says this, you, meaning Israel, to be clear, he's not talking about you and I. He's talking about Israel. He says, you Israel are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Why were they under a curse? They were robbing God. What does that mean? They were trying to give to God, but they were trying to do it their way, on their terms. I'll do it, God, but you get my leftovers. Certainly you don't get my best. So, verse 10, God says, I just want you to bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Not a portion of it, not your version of it, not what you have left at the end of the month. I want you to bring the whole thing. And then we hear, see a verse that I'm sure you've heard before. You've probably quoted it before. People have talked about it before. God says this. God says, this is so important to me that you understand this because I want your heart. He says, in this area, verse 10, God says what? What's the word? God says, what's the word? Test me. You go ahead and test me. It's the one time God lets us test him. The rest of the time in the Old Testament, when, when they tested God, it didn't go so well. But in this one area, he told them, this is an area you can test me in this. And if you do what I ask you to do, God says to the Israelites, he says, I'm going to open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there not be room enough 
to store it. God says, listen, if you'll just honor me the way I want you to do it, try my wisdom, my way, because I know where it's leading. I don't care about your stuff. I want your heart. And if you'll trust me, God knows I'm going to get your heart. And once I get your heart, you're going to watch me do miracles in your life. You're going to watch me move in a powerful way. God says, put me to the test. Not about getting our money. It's about getting our heart. God says, Jesus says, I don't want to be number three on the list. I want to be number one. I want to be number one. Because God knows, Jesus knows, our heart always follows our money. Now I want to be clear about something. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, this is a promise, this verse, opening up the floodgates of heaven, testing me. This is a promise to the people of Israel. It's not a direct promise to you and I. But one of the things we discover in Scripture, when we look at the Old Testament, and, and some of you, if you've read the Old Testament, you know there's a lot of strange things in there. 613 laws, and you're like, half of them you don't understand, and the other half, you're like, why would I follow that? There's a lot in the Old Testament that, that, that's given to the people of Israel. So what do you and I do with those commands to the people of Israel? What do we do with it? Well, we look at the principle behind it. We don't get tied to the law, but we can actually look at the principle because there's principles that we see throughout Scripture that we discover that in any area of your life, any area of your life, when you start moving towards God, when I start moving towards God, then God starts moving towards us and he starts to work and he starts to act and he starts to move in our life. And he literally begins to blow us away in those areas of our life. Why do we hold out in this? Why is this a topic that a handful of us go, man, I'm so excited about this and I'm praying for other people? Why for others of us who are like, man, I don't like this topic. I don't just hurry up. Let's get to the next series that we start next week. Let's move on. Why is it so hard? I've heard the stories. I know. I've been there myself at times. I get it. It's fear. We have that fear. We're not totally sure that we can really, really trust God's way with our finances. I get it that, that that discontentment just keeps coming up and it surfaces and it's like, man, I really want that. I get it that, that it's different. We're not fully convinced that, you know, if I really give my life fully to Jesus Christ, that's all I need, that he's sufficient. I'm not sure I totally believe that. God says, try it. Honor me first. Invite me into your finances. And when you do hear I come. It's not about your heart. I mean, excuse me, it's not about your money. It is about your heart. It is about priorities. And I love how Jesus said it. Think about that word priority when Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, and I want to say the word together. What does it say? But seek what? Seek. Let's say it again. Seek. One more time. Seek first. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Not my kingdom. Not what I want, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things. If you went back and read that chapter 6, that whole chapter was about they were worrying about stuff and worrying if they were going to have enough to eat and, and enough shelter and if God would really provide for them. They were worried the same things you and I worry about. And Jesus was saying, listen, if you'll just seek my kingdom first, all those things that you worry about, trust me, Jesus says, I'll take care of it, and they'll be given to you as well. When we go after God's kingdom first, he provides. The question is, how do we do it? How do we go after God's kingdom first and not third? Let me just give you a last few minutes here, a couple practical steps to take. 
Now, we said a few weeks ago that one of the nuggets of wisdom or wise counsel from the 11 million millionaires in our country is that 93% of them live on a budget. Yes, if, you're, if you weren't here that week, I encourage you to go listen to the message. 93% of America's 11 million millionaires, the study shows, live on a budget. They have a plan, and they work the plan diligently. So what's the best plan so that we can actually give to God first? Well, how do we do that? Well, it, it does follow the plan that we call GSL, give, save, live on the rest. In other words, flip the list. Give, save, live on the rest. If your plan is live, and if I have some left, I'll save a little, and if anything's left, I give, we'll never give. Because I can guarantee you at the end of the month, there won't be enough left with that plan. God says flip it. Give, save, and live on the rest. When you get paid, invest in God's kingdom first. Invest in your future investment second, and your future kingdom second, and then you live on what you have left. And when you take that path, over and over and over, part of those testimonies of the people who share with me are, this was the key for me, growing in a relationship with God. Growing into a deeper relationship with God. Growing my faith and my trust in God. Give first to God's kingdom, your kingdom second, and then you live on the rest. Now, I want to help you out here for a minute. I, I, I want to be crystal clear with this part of this message. What we're talking today, what we're talking about is not about trying to get money from you for a church or for the church. This is not about that. In fact, I want to take away that excuse from you. Some of you, I know, I get it. I, I've been doing this a long time. Some of you, anytime someone stands on stage in a church and talks about this idea of somebody giving, there are always going to be people who think that they don't trust the pastor's motives. They question. They think it's all about money, and they think it's just gaga. So I'm talking to you right now. If that's you, here's what I say to you. This is so important. This is so, God wants you to get this right because he knows this is how he gets your heart. This is the, the, the avenue by which he gets your heart. I want this so bad for you that when you give to a church, if you question our motives, if you, if you don't trust me or trust LifeWin or any of that, no problem. Give it to another church. And I'm dead serious about that. I want you to win in this area because I know what this is going to do for your heart. And if I'm a distraction, if the church is a distraction, if any of us are a distraction, no problem. Just give it to another church. But give. You're not a Jesus follower, and you say, I'm not giving to a church, no problem. Give to a charity. Pick a charity and say, because if this is what you do first with your money, it's the gateway to experiencing financial freedom, and it is the pathway even to experiencing contentment ultimately in God and in Jesus Christ. So give, and if you don't want to give here, no problem. Give it somewhere else. I want this for you so badly. So let's try it. Let's flip the list. Give to God first, save second, and live on the, on the rest. little piece of wisdom or wise counsel for this. How do you do that? you got to be systematic. Okay, so pick a percentage. Just picking them out. You and I are not under the Old Testament law of the tithe. 
The principle of the tithe is great. That's a great thing. And a lot of people use that as kind of their starting point. A lot of people say, oh, I'm not there yet and I'm going to work towards it. A lot of people are like, man, I'm already past that. I'm heading towards that double tithe. And some people are like, man, I want to live on, you know, I want to give away more than I live on. So each of us are on a different path, but pick a percentage. Don't pick an amount. Pick a percentage of your income. And so some of you, you know what? Just try it. This for you will be your first time. Today's the day you've finally been able to hear what God's been trying to talk to you about a long time. And some of you, you've left two or three or four other churches trying to get away from this message, and everywhere you go, it's there. You're like, I don't get this. Are all the pastors talking? It's because we just know what Jesus talks about over and over. This is, he didn't care about the money. He just knows this is how you're going to get your heart. He's going to get your heart. So I want to encourage you to take the step. Go for it. See what happens. You got nothing to lose, because I can tell you this way, this, our way doesn't work. Americans have proved it. Our debt has proved it. The fact that the majority of Americans, over half of Americans, have less than $1,000 in savings. And of those, 34% have no savings at all. Fifteen dollars to $30,000 is the average credit card debt for most Americans. So listen. People haven't figured out a financial plan on their own. God says, I have a great plan. Give first, save for yourself second, then live on the rest. 